I, w- I want us to look at Mark chapter 8 this morning, and um, we'll read our text here in just a minute. Most of you know the name Leonardo da Vinci, I assume, right? Leonardo da Vinci. He was a, Leonardo da Vinci was a philosopher. He was a scientist. He was an astronomer. He was a sculptor and did some incredible things uh, in Rome. I've, I've been there on several occasions where, to see uh, uh, David, the statue, this massive 18-foot uh, tall statue of David, and, and the Pieta where Mary is holding Jesus in her arms after the crucifixion. And Man, they, it almost looks lifelike. He was incredible. It's incredible that you could produce something like that out of a, a block of marble. Uh, he's known for those sorts of things. But probably he is most well-known for his Renaissance paintings, right? And, and you might think that Leonardo da Vinci uh, had painted just tons of paintings, but the truth is, do you know we can only validate about 17 existing paintings from Leonardo da Vinci? In fact, some of those 17 are not even finished. And he's best known probably for the Lord's Supper painting. You've seen that before. You may not even know that you've seen it, but the Lord's Supper painting. And then another one, the Mona Lisa. You've probably at least seen pictures of it, haven't you? Some, some of you may. I've had the opportunity to see the Mona Lisa. And, and, uh, and at any rate, by the way, it only took him 15 years to paint the Mona Lisa. And, and there's only, as I said, about 17 paintings out there that we can genuinely attribute to Leonardo da Vinci. Do you know why that is? It is because Leonardo da Vinci was one of the great, believe it or not, uh, uh, procrastinators in history. And uh, uh, Leonardo da Vinci would often be commissioned by people to do a painting or everything, and sometimes the patrons would have to uh, threaten him not to pay him just to motivate him to keep working. He was, on one occasion, he was commissioned uh, to paint the Virgin of the Rocks. He was commissioned to paint that in seven months. And he did finally finish it 25 years later. I mean, he is, he is in an article in Psychology Today, they talked about uh, he was this astronomical kind of procrastinator. Now, I read that and I thought, you know, well, there are a lot of disciples today that are procrastinating when it comes to really selling out and following Jesus. What they are are they're casual disciples or casual Christians or casual followers of Jesus Christ. Do you know what Leonardo da Vinci said on his deathbed? He said, I apologize to God and man for leaving so many things undone. And and I I don't want to to come to the end of my life as a follower of Christ and say, God, I apologize for leaving so many things undone as a follower of Jesus Christ. And, And the secret is not working harder. We sometimes, well, I've just got to get out there and work harder for Jesus. Believe it or not, that's not the secret. The secret is in following Jesus more deeply, personally. It's in becoming a more serious disciple. And in the passage that we're going to look at today, Jesus talks about what that means and what it looks like. Listen to what he says, beginning verse 34, chapter 8. And calling the the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? 
For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now, Lord Jesus, would you open our hearts and minds to your truth? Would you, Father, remove the distractions that the enemy would try to create in our minds and in our hearts? Would you cause us to hear exactly what you are trying to communicate to us? And then, Father, would you cause us to not only hear it, but to adapt our lives to it? Change us, transform us, instruct us, we pray. Uh, Lord, all for your glory and for our good. And, Father, may the words of my mouth... And the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight now, O Lord, my God, my great rock and redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now the passage that we just read is similar to the passage we looked at last week. You may recall the passage we looked at was the passage where Jesus calls the first disciples. And it says he's walking by the seashore, he sees uh, Peter and uh, 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 John and, and James and Andrew, and he calls these people to come and to follow him. And it says that they immediately uh, dropped their nets. They, they left their father, and they, they followed him. And so it was about calling these disciples. Now, this passage is similar, but it's different in the sense that Jesus isn't calling the disciples, those first apostles. He's calling the crowd. That's us. And if you notice in verse 34, it says, in calling to the crowd along with his disciples, that is the 12 that were uh, following him. And so this is about a much larger audience. Jesus is making the appeal to the masses, and there were lots of masses following Jesus at this time. And the reason is, is because at this time when Jesus spoke these words, it was cool to hang out with Jesus. It was acceptable, it was kind of the trendy thing, hang out with Jesus, because there are all kinds of benefits from hanging out with Jesus. There's a benefit of, you know, if you're sick, you got a chance to be healed. If you're hungry, you got a chance to be fed. If you've got some need, you got a chance to have that need met. Hanging with Jesus was a cool thing at this time. And so there were crowds, and everywhere he went, there were these crowds. But Jesus is beginning uh, to confront the crowds a little bit different from the initial uh, gatherings like the, where the Sermon on the Mount was, where he just taught them some of the great truths that they needed for life. Now he's beginning to confront them. They've been following him for a while, and they like being around him. And so, so now he starts getting a little tougher with what it means to be a real follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what our whole series is about that we're in right now. So Jesus begins to confront them. He begins to, to lovingly call them to something, and it's going to be something that's unlike any kind of calling they've ever experience. In fact, the truth is, I think Jesus is placing a choice before them that's going to sift out the casual follower, the casual disciple from the committed disciple. I'm reminded of something Kyle Eidelman said in the book. We, in fact, we, we studied this book a, a couple of years ago in January called Not a Fan. Listen to what he says. He says, Jesus has a lot of fans these days. But they're fans who cheer for him when things are going well, but walk away when it's a difficult season. They're, they are fans who sit safely in the stands cheering, but they never get in the game. They yell and cheer for others, but nothing is required of them. And when it comes to Christ, many Christians are like fans that are sitting in the stands each week. They cheer for Jesus, but they have no real interest in following him. 
They want to be close enough to Jesus to reap the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. Well, that's the point of the passage. That's why Jesus begins to kind of shift the, his, his con- confrontation and challenge to the people. He's trying to move them from this casual kind of following that they've had into a real uh, uh, discipleship kind of uh, follow uh, and commitment. And so that's what he's trying to do. And with that in mind, I want to give you five things this morning that I believe are vital to being a follower, a real genuine uh, a follower of Jesus. First of all, I want you to note a disciple's desire. Jesus talks about their desire in verse 34. Now, depending on what translation you use, the phrase may be, if anyone would come after me, or it may be, if anyone wants to come after me, or if anyone wishes to follow me, depending on what your translation is. In the Greek, however, here's the, uh, the, uh, the idea and a very appropriate rendering of that. If anyone desires to come after me, or if anyone desires uh, to follow me. That, that's what the word communicates, that it's this uh, volitional kind of intention. Uh, it's not a coercive kind of thing. I told you last week that when he calls those first disciples, it was an invitation. It wasn't coercion. It was an invitation, and they had a choice. They could respond to that call, or they could reject that call. And, and in this case, it is an invitation to the larger crowd. It is a call to us, it is a call to those then, and it is uh, a call to, uh, to call out those who have a desire. I want to follow Jesus. I really desire to, to follow him. Some years ago, a man and his wife came to see me for marriage counseling when I was pastoring in Florida. And uh, I did what I always do in, in that kind of uh, setting. I didn't know them and, and so I wanted to find out where they were with the Lord, because I'll be honest with you, uh, I believe at the root of most problems, well, at all problems, sooner or later it gets back to where you are with Jesus. And so I want to know, where, where, where were they? And I began to talk with them about that, and I come to find out that neither of them knew the Lord Jesus. Now, this guy's a big guy, and he's sitting in his chair like this. And uh, she's a, a, a kind of mild-tempered uh, lady, and so I began to share the gospel. I thought when, once I realized that they didn't know who Christ was, I began to share the gospel because I want to get that taken care of on the front side so that I could offer them some counsel that I believe would help them. And, and so I began to share the gospel, and as I did, tears began to roll down her face. And uh, finally I got to a point I said, I said, is there any reason you couldn't receive Christ today as your Savior? And she's, she's, tears were just flowing down. She said, no, I need to do that. I want to do that. Can I do that? I said, you sure can. And I led her in a prayer right there to trust Christ as her Savior. When, when I finished there, I looked at him and I said, how about you? Is there any reason you couldn't uh, 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 pray to receive Christ? And this is what he did, okay? He's sitting there. He went, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess I can get everybody off my back. Everybody keeps telling me I need Christ. So yeah, yeah, I'll do it. And I don't know what it was, but something came over me when he did it. I guess it was, I I believe it was the Spirit of God. And I looked at him, I said, no, you won't. I said, you won't do it here. I said, not in my office you won't. And it kind of shocked him. And I said, you must think, you must think that this is about the preacher getting another notch on his gospel gun belt. And I said, you need to know this isn't about me at all. This is about your eternal soul. And I said, I I just need to tell you the truth. 
I said, the truth is, I've already made my choice for Christ, and your wife just made her choice for Christ. And so you need to understand, my eternity is settled. And it is, I said this, I said, it is no skin off of my back if you die today and go straight to hell. I said, because it's settled. And it's not about the preacher getting some kind of merit badge for helping you get in the kingdom. And he, he was stunned. I thought he might come out and beat me up. He was big and strong. And, 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 but it, it shook him. And, and he said, uh, he said whoa, 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 wait, I'll do it. I'll do it. I said, no, you won't do it here. You know, because I said, you're not going to do it now to pacify me. I said, because it's not about me. This is about you, and it's about your soul. And I said, I'm not trying to make you do anything. Jesus, you, you understand, Jesus never makes us do anything. And I said, so, he said, well, I'll do it. I said, no, you won't. I said, not here. You go somewhere if you want to. You can go somewhere else. Now, by the way... <laughs> I don't recommend that as a, an approach for evangelism, okay? So I just want you to know that. that was a, that's the only time, well, no, there's one other time. Uh, but in my life, there have only been a couple of times where I really just, I think God moved me to just be very strong. That was one of them. But here was my point, and here is my point. God, Jesus won't make you follow him. And we see that reflected in the Scripture. If we go and study what it means to be a disciple, we see it time and time again where Jesus offers. In some cases, he commanded people to follow him, but they didn't do it. There's the story of the rich young ruler that came to him. And, and this was a good guy, but he wasn't real, willing to make a commitment that says, I give all of myself to you. And Jesus didn't beg him. Jesus never begs us. He never says, you've got to. Listen, listen, here's the truth. He says, whoever wants, whoever has a desire, let him follow me. Listen, I want to just tell you something today. If you want to follow Jesus, follow him. But if you don't want to follow him, don't follow him. But don't do this kind of casual, uh, toast kind of discipleship. Well, yeah, I'm kind of following Jesus, but I, I live like the world. I don't live like I belong to Jesus. I live like I belong to the world, but I follow Him. Look, if you want to follow Him, follow Him. And if you don't, don't. And by the way, if you don't, don't blame God when something goes, up, uh, goes wrong in your life and start going, well, God, it's God's fault. It's God's problem. No, it isn't. It's yours. Don't follow him if you don't want to. Jesus never said, oh, please follow me. Please follow me. Will you follow me? Jesus never does that. And he doesn't do it today. What he says is, I love you. 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 I gave my life for you. I love you. Follow me. And then we decide. But the, there has to be desire. Doesn't there? There has to be desire. And, and frankly, you know, I'm old enough now that, that I can say this. It, when I was young, I used to try to wrestle people into the kingdom of God. Oh, come on, you got, you, I, I used to, I don't do that anymore. First of all, I can anyway. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. And so all I can do is say, here it is. Here it is. Do you want it? But Jesus, that's what Jesus did. He just said, here it is, but if you don't want it, you don't. I'm, no, I'm. By the way, one day every knee, though, 
will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those who don't want to follow him will one day still confess that he was Lord. And of course, those who do follow him will confess to his glory. Following Jesus is not some robotic, mechanical decision you just make to get people off your back or to, to, uh, to, uh, to say the right kinds of things. And so that's why Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him follow me. One professor of religion here uh, in the U.S. said, the real dirty secret of religiosity in America, religiosity, that's a good t- way to describe it, is that there are so many people for whom spiritual interest and spiritual thinking about ultimate questions is minimal. Here, here, here's what that means. And there's studies, so I won't go through the study, but there are studies that prove, uh, or, or through statistical responses at least, that for many people, they just want to follow Jesus, but they don't want to do it on, they want to do it on their terms and not his. Why do we see a declining in, uh, spiritual influence in our culture? Why do we say, well, you may say, well, it's because of people that don't know Christ out there in the culture, but why do we see a declining? I, I want to tell you, it is because we've convinced Christians that they can follow Jesus casually and, they're, and on their own terms with minimal kind of commitment. That's why the light is growing dim out there. Because we have convinced Christians, you can follow Jesus however you want to. You can follow Jesus on your own terms. You can tell Jesus, I'm going to go this far, but I'm not going any further. Jesus never gave that option. In fact, in Revelation, he says uh, to a, a, a church, uh, he says, because you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. He, he's saying there isn't middle ground. He never makes that. And, and so we wonder sometimes, we, we see the culture and say, the culture's getting darker and darker. And by the way, it is. But could it be that our light has been covered by a bushel? Because we've said, well, I'll live for Christ the way I'm comfortable living for Christ, not the way Christ called us. Jesus' statement here is a conditional kind of clause, meaning if you want to follow me, then here are some uh, requirements. Uh, and, and that leads me to the second thing I want you to see, a disciple's denial, also in verse 34. Now, this isn't like a a disciple denying Jesus like Peter did or like Judas did. This isn't what I I mean. It is the denial that Jesus is talking about right here. He said, uh, anyone who wants to or would come after me, let him deny himself. This is self-denial. And he says, and take up his cross. Listen, to follow Jesus means more than just identifying yourself as a Christ follower. There are plenty of people today that identify as, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian or I'm a, a Christ follower. That number is declining, but there's still, uh, the majority of people in our culture will say, oh yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. What, what Jesus is talking about is renouncing self and, and journeying uh, with him, even to the point of death. I, and I, I don't know that any of us are going to be called to die physically for Jesus, but let me tell you something interesting. There are people today that will die in other parts of the globe they will die because of the name of Jesus today you and I thank God 
something else to be thankful for. We don't live in that environment, but I will tell you something. Our environment is changing out there. The day is coming. Listen, people, get ready to follow Jesus or not because the day is coming when that uh, question is going to test you in this culture unless there is a massive move of God. And so we've got to say, what is, what is being a serious disciple about? It's about self-denial. I, I heard about two men that went out fishing on, on a Sunday morning. And after several hours out on the lake, they hadn't caught anything. And uh, one of them finally looked at the other one and said, you know what? We probably shouldn't be out here on the lake. We probably should have gone, stayed home and gone to church. And the other one looked at him and said, well, I could have stayed home but I couldn't go on to church. And the other one said, well, why not? And he said, well, he said, my wife is sick. Did y'all get that? Or is that a courtesy laugh? Okay, thank you, Wally. It's one. But uh, look, that's funny, but many times it is tragically reflective of how we understand denial or, uh, of ourself, Right? Well, I, I can, I, I can uh, deny myself, but only to a certain uh, level. Where in reality, it is God that we deny. And what happens is God gets our leftovers. It's Thanksgiving. <laughs> a lot of people are trying to live their faith on leftover commitment. They got this, uh, you know, they made this commitment to Jesus back here. And they're trying to, to live down here on a commitment that's left over from back there. And there's not a lot of fresh work of God in their life because they say, yeah, but I had this encounter with God back here. I committed myself to God back here. I, began, I, I, began, I became a Christian back here. But you know, I'm still trying to live off of the leftovers instead of the freshness and the outpouring of the Spirit of God in my life right now. I'm living on the leftovers. Thanksgiving going to be a lot of leftovers. Don't you love leftover Thanksgiving? Y'all, how many of you like the, you know, the turkey sandwiches and, man, all kind of sweets that you shouldn't be eating? All kind of, I mean, love it. Big spread. Our kids are coming down. We hope that they're through the flu and don't bring it with them. But we have a lot of food. But let me tell you something. We got a lot of turkey at our house. And I'll tell you why. Because my wife heard there was going to be a shortage of turkeys, Monica. And so she went out and she bought turkeys. Adam, she bought several turkeys. And, and uh, she put them in the freezer. Three to be exact. Three turkeys in the freezer. The freezer sits out in the garage. And um, Friday... Friday about midday, I was out, and about midday, I get a call from my wife, and she says, we got a problem. I said, what's the problem? (laughs) She said, the freezer door has been open partially all night, at least, and she said, the turkey is thawed. She said, and most of the other stuff, it's all, she said, I've already cleaned it out and thrown all this other stuff away, all this meat, Chuck 
And I said, well, has the turkey got any ice on it? She said, yeah. She said, part of it you can feel is still. She said, but what should I do? I said, cook it. Cook the turkey. And so she did. She cooked the turkey. And man, it's fine. I want to tell you, it's fine. And so since Friday, we've been eating on that turkey, turkey sandwiches. We, I said, you might as well go ahead and cook some of that dressing too. <laughs> Just to help her out, you know. And so we've already been eating those things for the past uh, several days. And, and Thanksgiving's coming. And we're going to roast another turkey on Wednesday. We still have eight pounds of turkey. And we're going to roast another one. We're going to have plenty of turkey. I have the funny feeling that by Thursday, I'm going to be sick of turkey. Because we've had so much. I love leftovers. I, I love all that. But people, you know, there comes a point in time when you don't want to see any more leftovers, right? There comes a point in time where leftovers won't carry you any further. Now listen, there are a lot of Christians trying to live for God on leftovers. And those leftovers were good back then, but they'll only carry you so far. And Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. You can't give me your leftovers. You can't live and have commitment based on your leftovers. Now, don't misunderstand me. Denying oneself does not necessarily mean to do without something. Denying oneself doesn't necessarily mean uh, that you've got to uh, do away with everything. That's not the point. That's not even what is going on here. It, it's not asceticism. Do you know what asceticism is? It was a, uh, an ancient religious practice by all kinds of different religious faiths who thought they could somehow get God's attention if they forced themselves to suffer. Like one guy, he, he lived on one grain of rice a day for several months until he just about died. There was a, another guy who, who got on his knees every day and he crawled a mile to, uh, to get his food just to say, I'm, I'm punishing myself. That's asceticism. Another guy laid uh, at night on a bed of nails because he, he was afraid he would get comfortable. And so all of this, they didn't. that's not what Jesus is talking about. That's asceticism. And by the way, there's a Greek word for that. It's called stupid. All right? That's not what we're talking about. It's not self-rejection. I just reject myself. That's not what self-denial is. It's not self-hatred. I, I hate, my, I'm a worm. It's not that kind of stuff. So what is it? Here's what Jesus is trying to help us understand. It is renouncing the self as the dominant controller or element in our life. It is to replace uh, our self-prominence with Christ's prominence and make Christ the center of our affection and, and to place the divine will and the kingdom will above all things. Tim Bascom, in his book, The Comfort Trap, Spiritual Dangers in a Convenience Culture, writes this. He says, we're too comfortable to be spiritual today. We think we'll be able to pursue God better without danger or hardship, and yet it works in just the opposite way. Nothing is more difficult than to grow spiritually when we are comfortable. Do you get that? I don't know if you know the name Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He was a Russian diplomat, uh, 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 dissident, and he received the Nobel Prize, and uh, finally came after he got out of the, uh, the gulag, 
he wrote a memoir called Gulag Ar Archipelago, and I've been reading back through it, read it many years ago. It's a fascinating tale of his time as a Russian dissident in a Russian uh, concentration system, and he had been a great leader in the, the nation during the Soviet era, but he saw what was going on with socialism, by the way, and communism, and he said, we can't live like this, and so they threw him in a prison. And uh, he began to write, at any rate, the outcry worldwide became so strong for him that they finally had to release him. He came and lived in America, um, bought a cabin up, in, up north in the, in, in, I believe it was New Hampshire, and lived out kind of in the, the, the wilderness uh, area where he was isolated uh, much. But he was a believer. He became a believer while he was in the gulag in, in the Soviet Union and and you know what he said when, when he left the prison? He, he turned to the prison when he was released and he said, I bless you, prison, because it were it not for you, my soul would not have developed. Wow. He, had it. he understood that if we're not careful, and I'm not against comfort, by the way. I'm all for comfort. Uh, but the point is what? We rarely go deep with God in comfort. Hello? Your greatest spiritual growth comes in your greatest trials. Because there's something about that. And Jesus is, that's what Jesus is talking about when he's learning to, to deny ourselves. It's not about our comfort. Again, it's, don't go out and make yourself uncomfortable say, I'm a follower of Jesus. But instead, understand that following Jesus says, I follow, his will is elevated above myself. And the cross is an illustration of that. You know, when we look at the cross there, the cross is an illustration of the, the sacrifice, the self-sacrifice of Jesus, the greatest example of it, because he left heaven. The Bible says he thought it was not robbery to leave the side of God and come into the world and die for our sins. He didn't have to, but he left the throne of God. Can you imagine that? You're a king, and the orders come in that somebody's got to go die for these people. And your creator says, I'll do it. By the way, this is what separates Christianity from all the other religions out there. All the other religions out there say, you have to die for your founder. Our founder died for us. See, that's the difference. But, but, but so uh, uh, he came in. The, he is the model of, of, of self-denial. And when you see a cross, don't take lightly what a cross is. A cross is a reminder of self-denial. A cross is a reminder uh, of self-sacrifice expressed to us and modeled to us through Jesus Christ. And so when you see a cross, think denial, denial, and denial of self. Think discipleship. I was on a plane uh, some years back, and a lady was boarding, and she came and she was sitting, uh, needed to get in to sit uh, next to, uh, in the seat open next to me. And I happened to notice as she turned to come in the seat, she had this beautiful cross necklace on, this big cross necklace on. And so when she sat down, I said, I couldn't help but notice the cross necklace that you're wearing. I said, that's a beautiful necklace. And she said, well, thank you very much. I, and so I thought, this is an opportunity to find out. I said, do you know what that cross represents? And I have to confess, I was even shocked at this. She said, but she said, oh, she said, no, I don't know what it represents. She said, I just thought it was a pretty piece of jewelry. Friend, we must not confuse the cross with jewelry. The cross represents sacrifice. 
The cross represents self-denial, and we have to understand what it's about. And that leads me to the third thing I want you to see that he talks about, and that is the disciples' direction, all right? Are, are you with me? So he called the crowd to himself, and he said, if anyone desires or wants to come after me, let him deny himself. That's number two. And then he says, take up his cross and follow me. That's direction. Follow me. And, and the idea here is not, okay, I'm following Jesus. There's Jesus. I'm right behind him. That's not what he's talking about. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about walking with Christ. Really what he's talking about is Christ living through us and, and our walk is the result of Christ in us. And his statement is about a direction that defines us. What he's really doing is he's, he's saying, come and identify with me. Come and identify with me. When he says, follow me, he's saying, will you identify with me? Will you identify with the kingdom of God? And so he says, follow me. Um, and, and identify with Don't be ashamed of me. Did you notice how he ends that, that chapter, that passage? He's, he talks about not being ashamed. What he's saying is, will you come, will you follow me, will you identify wholeheartedly with me? You see, and, and that makes sense because you and I tend to be known by our associations, don't we? And, and for, for example, have you noticed like social media, have you noticed how many different subgroups there are on social media? And if you've got a group of people and you all kind of rally behind a certain idea or a certain activity, it may be a hobby, there are groups on there for hobbies, certain kind of hobbies, there are groups on there for certain kind of foods like turkey lovers, there are groups on there uh, for sporting teams and sporting groups and sporting events, there, there are groups, you name it, there's a group that you can associate with because you have something in common, right? You, y'all know what I'm talking about? Now look. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all don't act like you're a sleeper. I'm just going to keep on going till you get it. Y'all, 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 got, y'all got it? Got it. Okay. Thank you. There's a few people that want to get out of here. Uh, all right. And so there are groups, aren't there? And, you, and people identify by their associations, their affiliations. They, they affiliate. Why? And so we're identified by our associations, aren't we? I've, by the way, there's even a group that um, I would call, uh, there's a group of people that you might refer to as that we don't belong to any group group. And they're a group. They all have the same things in common. They talk about the same things and what they're not a part of. And for the most part, by the way, I'm not saying those things are wrong. For the most part, there's nothing wrong with those kinds of affiliations and associations. But here's where I'm going with that. The follower of Jesus Christ should be even more so identified by the fact that we are a follower of Christ. What is my identity? What is my identity? My identity is in Christ. Uh, he is, he, I identify with Him. I associate with Him. And I'm not ashamed of that. I follow Him. So the direction of your life in following Jesus, what He's trying to get us to do is to, uh, without reservation, identify with Him. Because the direction of your life is a powerful indicator of what or who you are following. And for Christians, there should be, listen, there should be no mistake about who we are following. Amen? There should be no mistake. People shouldn't be guessing. I did a, a, a service, a funeral service yesterday 
for this sweet uh, senior lady in our congregation. And her son said to me, said, uh, Pastor, would you like to see her prayer journal? And I said, could I? And he said, absolutely. And he gave me this, man, it was just wonderful to read. And this woman, behind the scenes, quietly, what she would pray. And she prayed for me. She prayed for my anointing. She prayed for this church. She prayed for the people in this church. So that means you got prayed for by her. She, she prayed for revival. She prayed for our nation. And it was just full of gratitude and thanks. She wasn't a woman of means, but she constantly through there, she, Lord, I thank you for my house. Lord, today, I thank you that I, I, you awakened me for a new day. How can I serve you today, God? It was just stuff like that. It just bless me it was just incredible to see unashamed I'm the follower of Jesus Christ and I'm glad as a as a pastor when I have to do those things I'm not saying I think she was a follower of Christ I hope she was a follower I don't have to say those things I can say I know look we're sad she's gone but we're glad because she's well and I know where she is. That's what I can say. Why? Because she was unashamed to identify with Jesus Christ. And that's what he's talking about. Following him means I'm not ashamed to the good that comes with it and, and the, uh, the malintent that might, I might have to face because of it. Are you ashamed of him? Number four, a disciple's discernment. There are three things I want to show you here. Three things I'm going ahead and tell you. I want you to see a disciple has to discern profit. And then a disciple has to discern price. And then a disciple has to discern priority. Quickly, let me just give those here. What do I mean? A disciple first must discern profit. Did you notice what Jesus said in verses 35 and 36? He says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? That's a profit. A disciple has to discern that. And, and here's what that means. So, what are the benefits of following Jesus? I discern, what is the, for what shall it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? So, what are the benefits? That's about, what are the benefits of following Jesus? Do you know Jesus already told us what the benefits are? Uh, beside the, you know, uh, uh, eternity in the kingdom of God. No, did you know there are benefits right here and now following Jesus? Do you know what it is? Things like peace that passes all understanding, Paul talked about. But listen to this. Jesus himself said in John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Abundant life. Now, the devil tells you something. He fills our heads with lies. And those lies are something like this. You, You don't really think Jesus is interested in bringing fullness to your life. Jesus wants to mess your life up. By the way, if Jesus messes your life up, it's usually because your life needs to be messed up. Because your life is already messed up. And he's trying to mess it up in the right way. All right? But he said, I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Full and overflowing is what that means in the Greek. That is what a disciple has to discern. What's the profit of following Jesus? Abundant life. And eternal life in his presence. That's the profit. Then what is the price? Now, when he's talking about the price for what shall it profit a man if he gains the world and he loses his own soul, there's a price for not following Jesus. There's profit from following Jesus. There's a price for not following Jesus. What is it? A life that's lost. And by the way, a life that's lost now is lost forever. 
You don't get into the kingdom. You know, I said one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. That's scripture. And that uh, Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of Father. But on that day, people won't say, I, mm, I see it now. They will, but they won't be able to say, you know what? I think I want to be a disciple after all. It's too late. Jesus said there would be those who would come and they would say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we heal the sick in your name? Didn't we feed uh, people in your name? And on and on it goes. And Jesus says in that day, depart from man, never knew you. Right now is the day of salvation, the scripture says. Right now, not tomorrow. Listen, those of you who are watching us uh, on live stream and television, as well as you in this audience, I want to tell you something. If you're not sure that if you died today that you would be in the presence of the Lord Jesus because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, if you're not sure about that, you do not need to leave this building until you are. And here's the reason why, because you don't know that you've got another day. Do you know, listen, there are people today that will die today that had no idea that they were going to die today. They felt good, thought life was good, and there are going to be people that die today. You know that, right? It could be any of us. That's why you can't risk your eternal destiny and say, well, eventually I'm going to get this thing right. I'm going to get this stuff straightened out. You, you don't have that luxury because, because the clock may end for you. It will for uh, uh, hundreds, if not thousands of people today, right here in our own country, their life will be gone. And they felt good or they thought everything was fine and now they're gone. Listen, today, that's what the Bible says, today is the point of salvation. There is a price to pay for not following Jesus. And then there is the priority. The disciple must discern what is priority. What is your most valuable asset? Have you ever really thought about that and you say, well, it's my 401k or it is uh, my house maybe or it is, uh, it is some things that I own. I have some jewelry or something like that. What, what have you assigned value to in your life? What's the most valuable thing you have? Uh, did you know the Bible tells us what it is? It's not any of those kinds of assets. Your most valuable asset is your soul. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Because the soul is eternal. And the Bible says that all these other things, there's nothing wrong with things unless the things become God's. And and here's the problem. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And that's why he said, so lay up treasure in heaven, not on earth. Now, I didn't just tell you, go out and get rid of everything because your soul's the most important thing. I just said, get it in the right priority. Jesus is all about priority. Following him is all about priority. It's about, it's about profit and price, all of those things. So how do we do these things? We do it by living with eternity in mind. You know what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7? He said, for the present form of this world is passing away. This stuff's all passing away. Our world's passing away. So we have to see uh, through the lens of eternity. C.S. Lewis said Christianity 
if it's false, is of no importance. You get that? If Christianity's not, not real, it's of no importance. And then he adds, though, but if it is true, it is of infinite importance. He said the one thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. It's kind of important. It's kind of, it either isn't or it is. That's what he's saying. And if it is, it should adjust everything about our life. There's one final thing I, I want to give you this morning, and that is the fifth thing, and that is I want you to, to note the disciples' decision. Verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, he says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, uh, the Son of Man will also be ashamed. It's about a decision. You have to make a decision. And, and by the way, rejecting Jesus leads to being rejected by Jesus. Do you hear that? Rejecting Jesus now leads to being rejected by Jesus in the kingdom. In fact, is you really can't be a true disciple of Jesus if you're ashamed of Jesus. Have you have you guys heard about the company that started making bumper stickers for cars that are blank? The bumper stickers blank. Y'all heard about that company? Blank bumper stickers they're making. They're for people who don't want to get involved. I want to tell you something. As a disciple of Christ, you can't live your life like that. You can't say, I just, I don't want to be involved. Listen, you are salt and light in the culture. As a follower of Christ, that's what you're called to be involved. You say, you mean agendas? and No, no God's agenda. That's the agenda that you are to pursue. That's the agenda that you're to be involved with. And Jesus' challenge was to a crowd of people that wanted all the perks of being around Jesus without any of the commitment he called them to to follow him. William Alexander, in his book, The $64 Tomato, asked this great question. It is, if you were to live the same life over and over again for eternity, would you choose the life that you're now living? Do you get that? If you were to live the same life over and over again for eternity, would you choose the life you're now living? And that begs another question, really. If, if the answer is no, no, I wouldn't choose the life I have lived and am living. If the answer is no, I wouldn't choose the life that I'm, I'm living now, then Stop. And don't make excuses. Do something about it. If you say, this isn't the life I would live if I did it over again. There was a moment of decision for those that Jesus was speaking to. There was a moment of decision. That's what he was doing with the crowd. I'm calling you to decision. That's what he was saying. Uh, uh, listen, and he says, I'm going to be straight with you, straight up front. He was calling them to decision. Jesus always calls us to make a decision. We say, well, that was them. That same, that same calling to decision to follow him is still as important today as it was when he issued it to them. And frankly, if you've never responded to Jesus, if you've never responded to his invitation to follow him and to be his disciple, then hearing this today is your invitation. And, and your response is vital and by the way, no response is a response. 
If you don't respond to his invitation to, to be a disciple, it's not like you're saying, well, I, I just didn't respond. You, and it's, by the way, it's never about responding to a preacher. It's about responding to him. God, I, I want to go beyond where I am. Kyle Eidelman that I referenced earlier said this, what if all of life comes down to this one question? What if there really is a heaven and there really is a hell? And where I spend eternity comes down to, that, to answering that question. Well, I would add to answering that question and making the right decision. It really all comes down to that. Jesus, he didn't coerce them. He called them. And he gave them the option. It's what I love about Jesus. He says, look, I, I want to invite you in to the kingdom work. I want you to invite you... Uh, to invite you into the kingdom as a citizen of the kingdom. But I'm not going to drag you in there. I'm not going to force you in. I want you to come because you desire to follow me. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? No one's looking about in this place. <clears throat> and maybe in your heart of hearts right now, you need to call on him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved whether you're watching by live stream or in this live audience, ground floor, balcony, maybe today you need to call on him as you've never called. You've been religious, but there's no relationship. You're not sure about that relationship. You just say in your heart, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I know I need you. I invite you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Savior. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring about me. And I want to know you. Maybe you've done that. Do you remember? But you've been trying to live over on leftover commitments. So why don't you say today, today, Lord Jesus, thank you. I know I'm a believer, but Lord, I need a fresh. I need to make a fresh commitment to you to be your disciple. And so, Lord, I tell you right now that I, I'm, I'm renewing my walk. I'm renewing my commitment to be your disciple. And Lord, if I don't have a desire, would you give me a desire to even desire that? Now, Father, would you speak in this place this morning? Before we're gone, would you speak? Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for your incredible patience. That's really amazing, God, that you're so patient with us. You're so patient with me, Lord. I know that. Thank you. Help us, Father, to get it. Help us, Father, to be your followers, fully devoted, fully committed. Speak now, Father, in these moments of invitation before we're gone, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me for our invitation? I'll be here at the front. Staff members are going to be at the aisles. And is there a decision for you to make? It may be that you just say, hey, I know the Lord. I, I need a church home or church family, and, and I want to join Ridgecrest. Would you slip out, balcony, ground floor, come this way? And tell one of us on staff, we'll take care of it from there. You may be here and say, I, I called on the Lord. I prayed that prayer. I called out to him. And today, I want to come and I, uh, I want to uh, announce unashamedly that I've become a follower of Christ. Would you do that? Maybe you want to come and pray around this altar. I hope you'll use it. hope you'll fill it up. You're, you're praying for someone. You're praying about something. Whatever it may be, come and fill this altar and pray and seek the Lord in this time. And, and to those of you who are watching by live stream, you'll see information on your screen for your decision, whatever that may be. This is that moment. This is the moment I was talking about, the moment of salvation, the moment of decision 
whatever that may be, you come on as Bradley leads us. You slip out right now. Come on.